Switch to T-Mobile and get four lines for just 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us so you can take a portrait photo of the whole family with the ultra-wide camera. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, cute. Hurry into T-Mobile and get four lines for 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us with qualifying trade-ins. Via 24 credits for well-qualified buyers with auto pay plus taxes and fees. If you cancel before receiving 24 credits, you may owe up to the full value of your device of $699.99. Contact us. Finance agreements required. Hello everyone, welcome to yet another episode of Product and Growth Stories Podcast. This is your host, Varun Mittal. Product managers working at startups or large companies have their own unique challenges, such as lack of autonomy to take decisions in case of a large company or resources constrained in a startup. This makes companies of different sizes have their own pros and cons due to their sheer size, which make them successful or unsuccessful in the market. As in physics, the mass can manifest the momentum. Large and small companies devise their own methods to succeed. Here is an attempt by Hans Bern Kitlos, a global product management coach and trainer to bring the best of the two worlds to PMs in this podcast with me, Big Fish and Small Fish, what they can learn from each other. Hello, Hans Bern. Welcome to the show. Hello, Varun. Thank you for the invitation. Well, pleasure is all mine. Uh, please tell us about your product management journey from being the head of product management at IBM and then transitioning into a global product management coach and trainer. Sure. Um, I've spent all my career on software. So actually, before I got my first uh, job in product management, I was a software developer. I worked in quality assurance. I was a project manager and then a line manager for software development. And then I became responsible for uh, IBM's product management group for one of IBM's operating systems. Uh, At that time, it was a jump into very cold water. There were no books, no trainings. So the only thing you could do was you could talk to people who already had that job and ask them, what are you doing? And when I did that, I got very different answers. Uh, So everybody had his or her own definition of what software product management was about. I was responsible for this operating system. Later on, I became responsible for the European product management for IBM's database and application development products. Uh, So for three years, I was deep into software product management on the vendor side. Then I left IBM and I became the director of the computer science center of one of the largest retail banking organizations in the world. So I transitioned to the customer side, if you want, of of software. And in that banking organization, the IT centers had large application portfolios. And in my job, I was responsible for uh, the the methodology side, for software development, uh, architectures, uh, enterprise architecture, uh, 
And that included the subject of product management because the IT centers had portfolios of applications where the, the participating banks could decide what they wanted to use and what they did not want to use. So there was some sort of internal product management and marketing involved. And so we introduced product management in that large uh, corporate organization as well. When I started my own business, Innotivum Consulting, in 2001, based on that experience, I decided to focus on software product management as one of my areas for consulting and training. In the meantime, I've published three books on the subject, the latest one being uh, Software Product Management, the ISPMA Compliant Study Guide and Handbook. ISPMA, the International Software Product Management Association, was started uh, nine years ago by a group of experts from the industry and academia with the objective to build a curriculum for education and certification for software product management. And I'm the current chairman of that organization. We have more than 1,500 members worldwide. So it has grown quite a bit. We have done hundreds of, of uh, trainings and, and certification exams. Uh, so that is the basis for my, for my training. And of course, I also do quite a bit of consulting work for companies across industries and geographies. So actually, I started doing work in India uh, last year, and we have started uh, trainings and also consulting offerings uh, in India as well. But I've been doing that on a worldwide scale in, in Asia and in, in North America and of course in, in Europe. So that's how this developed over time. Uh, what we are seeing today is that the subject of software product management is becoming more important, more interesting, not only for the software industry itself, but also for other industries like automotive, like manufacturing, where software is turning into the number one value driver for those industries. And we see that in the participants of our trainings and also in the requests for consulting, that these industries are trying to improve their abilities to deal with software in their products in a commercial sense. Uh, so as you work with organizations of different shapes and sizes across the globe, from startups to SMBs to MNCs, at the first place, do you see a difference in product management approach and practices intrinsic to the size of the product business or the company? Well, <clears throat> ISPMA has developed a software product management framework. And that framework shows all the tasks that software product managers are involved in. And when you look at these tasks, basically all of them are needed 
independent from the size of the business or the company. But the size does have an impact on who does them, what is the organizational structure, uh, how much capacity does the organization have for doing these things. So in startups, very often in the beginning, the founders do quite a bit of that product management work themselves. And when the, when the startup grows, at some point in time, they find out that they cannot do it anymore or cannot do it properly anymore. And that's when they, when they hire a product manager to take care of, of the product management work. So the, the, the number of people that you have in the organization for these kind of topics, of course, determines to some degree how much you can do. And so you need to prioritize. But in principle, all the tasks that you see in the SPM framework are relevant. And you need to decide what you focus on, what you prioritize when you do not yet have the capacity to really do everything. Uh, so you talked about founders being the product managers in the initial phase. You know, when these companies as startups, they grow and become established companies, you know, what would you recommend to these founders who are establishing their team, who are scaling up their products? What aspects should these CEOs consider as they're evolving into an established organization? Well, there, there are challenges when you, when you scale up. Very often in the beginning, the, the founders will do this work themselves. Then at, at some, let's say, break point, uh, typically when the organization grows to about 25 people, the founders see that they need to delegate more. They need to, to create structure within the organization. And that changes the way the organization works. The next break point is at about 100 people when uh, very often the, the founders realize that they need management skills in the organization that are familiar with, with that size of organization. And that is very often when the founders hire an external CEO to manage further, further growth. So there are these breakpoints in the, in the development of organization. And the larger the organization becomes, the more you can assign different roles to different people. Whereas in the beginning, very often different roles are assigned to the same people, to the same person, simply because you do not have that many people yeah. in the organization. So that's the typical, let's say, journey of a, of a startup company. When it is successful, when it, when it does grow, you go through these phases and, and breakpoints. And that's what CEOs have to manage in a good way. And that, of course, includes and implies to product management as well. So product management needs to develop accordingly in the same way. And the, the orchestration task of a product manager becomes more complex and also hopefully more structured when the organization grows. So one challenge which I see 
for PMs and startups and small companies where they have to wear multiple hats, which you even you know said they're performing the role of a product manager. They're also developing the product. They are doing some work of a product marketing as well. And, and so on, even sales, I would say. I believe that these product managers, they get so overwhelmed in the long run, uh, which at times impact overall product success. So what are your thoughts uh, for such PMs who are performing these multifunctional roles uh, so that they could sustain it? Well, like you said, I mean, in, in these startup situations, Typically, everybody more or less has to do everything wherever the need is, right? Mm-hmm. So very often a product manager will find himself or herself in a position where there are some marketing tasks that he has to take up at least temporarily and, and those kind of things. But over time, it is important that the product manager really focuses on what is important for the commercial success of the product at any point in time. So the product manager has to prioritize his or her own work so that he really focuses on on the important things. And that is more challenging than it sounds. So very often in, in our daily work, we are very much driven by these daily urgencies. Uh, something comes up. You have 20 emails in your inbox when you when you come into your office in the morning, uh, and and you start working on these emails. And half the day is gone uh, by working on these what I call daily necessities, daily urgencies. Uh, before you can even think about doing something that is really important and of strategic value to your product. And that is a big challenge for most product managers, in particular in in, in small organizations, where very often the strategic dimension, the long-term dimension, where are we going with the product, is not given enough attention to. In, In the startup community, it has become fairly popular to talk about these learning cycles. Uh, that's, for example, what, what minimum viable product is about, all these, all these techniques that have come up from the startup world. You want to learn along the way how to design your product. And that is fine. I mean, I think it's important. But if you do not have the long-term view, you may keep working on these, let's say, small small changes, small enhancements, small adaptions. And in the course of things, you lose direction. That can very often happen. That's what a strong vision is about. You need to have a vision that is not for the next six weeks, but that is really for at least a year or two where you want to go with the product. And that's also what what product strategy is about. So these things very often do not get enough attention. And that's dangerous. Uh, And that's why I'm saying it's important that the product manager really sets his own priorities right Mm -hmm. so that there is enough attention to to the important things. Absolutely. So I think on the hindsight, there are a lot of opportunities for product managers to uh, learn and uh, you know, experience multiple aspects of the job. It gives a broader view. But then in terms of a product vision, they should be definitely aligned to CEOs and founders 
you know, what things they're looking at. So there are specific things I want to talk about for a product manager in a startup because his job is essentially focused on making it a commercial success. He has less number of resources and he has to ship out something which is of great value. Uh, and there are other aspects like, you know, even being uh, involved on the sales side as well. So what kind of skill sets would you recommend for a product manager who is looking to venture into startup space? In, in general, for any product manager, I think it's important to really be able to manage I mean, the, the management aspect is important. It does not make sense to expect a product manager to be an expert in everything. I mean, given the, the positioning of a product manager, the product manager is supposed to make sure that the whole organization, whatever the size is, supports the product in the best possible way so that the product becomes commercially successful. But that does not mean that the product manager has to be an expert in all these areas. The product manager has to be able to work with all the experts in, the, in, in these areas, be it development, be it marketing, be it sales, and motivate them to do the best they can to make the product successful. So that is much more a management job, this orchestration part of, for the organization. And that's one important requirement for a product manager. That includes being able to work with people. So you need to be able to interface with people, even though you do not have a hierarchical management position. So you work across the organizational structure, but you still have to make sure that all the people in, in the different parts of the organization contribute. So that's what I call the, the management capability. The other important aspect is the good balance between business understanding and technical or domain understanding dependent on the type of software that we talk about. So if it's, if it's software that is more on the technical side, like middleware, the technical understanding is, is important, uh, including the market view. So you need to understand what the market is for that kind of product. Uh, and you need to understand the, the technology and how technology will develop over time. And that needs to be combined with the business view. That is very challenging. I mean, as we all know, people who come from the software development side, most of the time lack the business understanding. And people who come from the business side very often do not have that technical understanding. When the software is more in the application area, then domain knowledge is important. You need to understand business domain that the software is intended for. So these are, are the challenges, this balance between business and, and technical or domain side. And that's a major reason why it is fairly difficult for companies to find good product managers. Absolutely. So let's deep dive into product management at a large company. Do you think product team and business maturity become a curse in disguise for established companies? Because we usually see small companies disrupting large companies as they're highly agile to build faster. They're able to tap innovative methods and technologies to solve problems in a better way or acquire greater customer base with attractive business models. 
do large companies become overly risk averse in even trying out strategic areas of growth and innovation? Well, I had a chance to meet the CEO of DHL German Post last week. As you know, DHL is one of the largest logistics companies in the world. And he said, when, when he got pretty much the same question, he said, our challenge is that we as a, as a corporation are measured on our business success in total. Our shareholders do not care about small startup areas they care about the total numbers. So that's why it's most important for us that the business areas that generate most of our revenue and profit continue to be successful. And that's where we, where we put our best people. And so within the corporation, it is very difficult to start something new. You see, the, the whole corporation is focused on making sure that what is already successful continues to be successful. And that has an impact on where people are assigned to. And it also has an impact on, on the risk side. So yes, there is risk averse behavior in large organizations. And there are also typically well-defined processes, in particular financial decision processes. And all that is a, a problem when it comes to innovation. Uh, so that's why when you look at large companies, when they want to do something completely new, very often they, they do that in a, in a spin-off. They do not start that within the large corporation, but they, they create a spin-off that can operate like a startup and is not, let's say, bound to, to the rules of the large corporation. So that's one way how large corporations can be innovative. What we also see is that all the big players in, in the software business, be it SAP or IBM or whoever, they keep buying smaller innovative companies. So that's how they try to, to get innovation into their company by, by buying all these small companies. So I think in the case of SAP or IBM, they buy at least a company a week so it, it's really a, a, an ongoing process. It is not always successful because the integration of the small companies into the large companies can easily kill the innovation because you lose the people who have the skills. But that's the challenge. And, and they have become much better in, in, in doing that over time. So that is what, what we typically see in, in large organizations. Uh, now, coming to business strategy overall, uh, we know about Adobe. In 2012, they launched SaaS uh, version of its key product line, uh, causing the net income to plummet by almost 35%. But yet by April 2016, its stock price nearly tripled. 
So large companies like Adobe, you know, transform, uh, transform their license-based model to subscription-based model to stay competitive to their counterparts. So what would you recommend for contemplating such a massive change in business models? Well, I, I prefer to look at the delivery model as something separate from the pricing model. So the delivery model can be on-premise software or it can be software as a service. The pricing model can be one-time charge or it can be periodic charging, which is often called subscription model these days. All of that is not totally new. I mean, IBM offered periodic charging for on-premise software already in the 1970s. When PC software came up in the 1980s, one-time charge became the dominant pricing model because the PC software companies wanted a faster return on investment. And of course, with one-time charge, you, you have a much faster return on investment than with periodic charging. But the advantage of periodic charging is that you have a much smoother revenue stream over longer periods of time. So that's, that's a very strategic financial decision that, that companies have to make. Now with software as a service, periodic charging has become the dominant pricing model. But in general, both pricing models, one-time charge and periodic charging, work with both delivery models. It is just a business decision which combination you choose. And whatever you choose, that has financial consequences. So, of course, when you, when you switch from a one-time charge price model to a periodic charge price model, that has a, a, a temporary impact on your overall revenue because you, you lose the fast return on investment. So, but in the long run, if you can afford it, then the periodic charge model is has a lot of advantages from a, from a financial perspective. And, and that's why companies like Adobe have made that switch. But it's, it's primarily, let's say, a, a financial strategic decision how you want to handle this. Sure. So I want to talk about speed. So speed is something which we see large enterprises uh, struggling with. So if we talk about small companies, they have an advantage of, you know, high speed product development due to their agile and lean teams. So when it comes to product development, what would you recommend for enterprises or, you know, startups? What is the best for them? Is, is there some rule that maybe safe is for enterprises and then Scrum or Kanban is for a small one? I would say in general that a development methodology needs to be chosen based on a number of factors, like what is a type of software, what is the culture of the organization, the maturity of the development organization, the skills, the experience level, all of that plays a role when you want to, to make a decision on the optimal development methodology. In the agile space, Scrum was designed for the team level. So the original Scrum definition talks about seven plus minus two people. That is what, what Scrum was built for. 
Now, when you have a larger development organization with 100 people, uh, the question is, how can you scale up? And that's what frameworks are good for, like SAFE. SAFE is a market leader in that space. There are other alternatives. These frameworks can help you with scaling up an agile approach in larger development organizations. So it's primarily a question of the size of your development organization, what you need. And of course, I mean, in, in larger companies, very often development organizations for a particular product are also larger. So that's why this question of scaling up is more important in those environments. All right. So we have come to the end of this episode. Thank you, Hans Bern, for your deep insights. I'm sure product managers at any company size will be benefited from this conversation. How can our listeners reach out to you, Hansman? Well, I think the easiest is that they uh, go to my website, innotivum.com, where they find information about myself and uh, my training and consulting offerings. And they also find information on my books uh, and my blog posts. Uh, People can sign up to the newsletter there where I send out information on what's new in product management and also uh, links to uh, recent articles, blog posts that I find uh, helpful. So innotivum.com is the best uh, way to uh, get in touch with me. Great. Uh, Thanks all of you who are listening for your love and support. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel. We would look for your encouraging comments so that we could bring much more exciting topics on product management and marketing. Till then, I wish you an exciting product growth journey. Thank you all. Switch to T-Mobile and get four lines for just 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us. So you can take a portrait photo of the whole family with the ultra-wide camera. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, cute. Hurry into T-Mobile and get four lines for 30 bucks each and the incredible iPhone 11 on us with qualifying trade-ins. Via 24 credits for well-qualified buyers with auto pay plus taxes and fees. If you cancel before receiving 24 credits, you may owe up to the full value of your device of $699.99. Contact us. Finance agreements required.